Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guest today is from Centro Hispano, and the website is centrohispanouc.org. The UC stands for Utah County. But the uh, organization is just called Centro Hispano. And Abraham Hernandez, who is Chief Communications Officer, is my guest. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, You don't necessarily, at least I don't, when I think of where do Hispanic people live, I don't automatically think of Utah County. That's very true. A lot of people think to see or think that our population is just up here in Salt Lake County, which is true. We have a large population up here in Salt Lake County. But Utah County is expanding. It's especially up north in the newer developments. That's where our community is expanding and further down south. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're growing. We're growing. So Centro Hispano has not been around for a long time, just uh, since the turn of the century, basically. Mm-hmm. Kind of explain how it got started at UVU and went through the changes and where we are now. Yeah. So we just celebrated 20 years last year. So we're fairly young. Uh-huh. And as you mentioned, we did start off at UVU, a group of volunteers who weren't even Latino themselves, Hmm. realized that our population was having a hard time connecting with resources that were available to them simply because of language barriers Hmm. or cultural barriers. So they created this organization where folks could just call in and get that warm handoff Hmm. from us to another agency. Right. And from someone who speaks the language. Someone who speaks the language, understands their culture, mm-hmm. um, is going to take the time to explain things. Because something that's really unique about our culture is we don't like to read. You can put a flyer up and have all the information we need to know. We're not going to read that. We prefer someone to tell us. Oh, okay. It's very interpersonal. We love talking. So that was a perfect way of combining that cultural stuff and also the information that they needed. Um, I grew up in Utah County. I grew up in Orem. Um, left there, uh, I guess, in the 80s. Haven't lived there since. Um, but, yeah, I, when when I was growing up there, I don't remember there being a, a hardly any Hispanic population. So that's something that's changed pretty recently. Um, so what does the organization look like now? So it has definitely evolved. Um, I grew up in Utah County, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I remember being one of maybe two Latinos within my classroom. I knew that my class size was bigger in, in uh, the population, but within a classroom, it was just one. I was one of two. I did student teaching a few years ago in a local high school and realized that their population has grown. Oh yeah. In an English class, regular English, not ESL, about ninety three percent of their students were Latino. Mm. So it has definitely changed, and because of that change we've had to change as an organization as well. It wasn't just bringing our community that needed information to an organization that had resources for them. It meant that we had to become that resource as well. Hmm. Yourself, yeah. Exactly, because like you mentioned, we know the the language, we know the culture. Because sometimes when we were handing people off to other organizations, they maybe spoke the language, but didn't understand the culture. Hmm. That's huge. Or sometimes... They just had resources for them, but nothing was in Spanish 
or they didn't have Spanish speakers. So we realized that we had to start doing that. Hmm. And with that, we grew into different departments. We have a low-income taxpayer clinic, health promotion, immigration services, um, our resource center, and workforce services. All of this is so that our community knows of a hub in Utah County mm-hmm. that they can go to. Because honestly, we're the only one that has that mission of just focusing on our, our Latino community. It's interesting. I guess it's because you started at UVU in Orem that you're based in Utah County, but you do now have uh, satellite offices in St. George and in Salt Lake City. Uh, just It seems sort of backwards to me to have your main office in Provo and a satellite in Salt Lake instead of the other way around, but I guess that's due to the history of the organization. It, it is due to the history. Um, we do know that Utah County needs us. Again, our population is growing, and as I mentioned, in the north and in the south of the county. So we really needed to stay there mm-hmm. um, to build that hub because people, like you said, people don't think of a high Latino population in Utah County, yet we do have one. Yeah, the number is over 70,000 Hispanics live in Utah County, but many of those lack access to the services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, your services are free, is that correct? The majority of them are free. There are certain ones that do cost money. Those are typically the legal. Right, okay. Just for representation purposes. There are some fees involved, fees but involved. generally yeah. generally, you're up. Well, let's just kind of talk about each area that you focus on now. Uh, community resources seems like that's probably where you started. That's where we started, and we're going to continue to be that that place where people call in and ask questions, and we refer them to agencies that we trust. These aren't just agencies that we Googled. <laughs> These are agencies that we know will treat our people correctly, will have information in Spanish, um, are places where they will get services. And I'm looking at that webpage right now, like notary services, translation services, legal consultation, uh, help filling out job applications, help filing for a divorce, just kind of the basic things that everybody needs in their life. But if you're new to a community and you don't necessarily speak the language, you steer them to someone who can specifically help them. Exactly. Exactly. The second one is health promotion. What is that? Health promotion focuses on bettering the health outcomes of our community. So it has a wide range Mm -hmm. for healthy relationship and communication skills, um, how to quit tobacco and vaping, um, parent-child communication. We also do COVID now because something that we realized during these horrible COVID years is there wasn't information for our community. Uh, we lacked information in our language mm-hmm. for so long to the point where our community distrusted our, our government because mm-hmm. they took so long yeah. to get information out. And so we knew that we had to step up and give them the right information in a timely manner. And from someone they can trust. And from someone they could trust. Yeah. I, I mean, frankly, our government hasn't always treated people of color very well. That yeah. history is real. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's definitely that distrust. So it's yeah. important that they have someone to come to that they can trust. And unfortunately, like you said, we do have that history and it reared its ugly head once again. <laughs> Low-income taxpayer clinic. This sounds like this is something that would be very valuable. Yes. So this is for – we don't do current year taxes. So if people are trying to file their 2022 taxes, we don't do those. That's not what this is about. This is not what this is about. This is a very specific grant that we received from the IRS specifically where we help folks who might have any kind of controversy. 
if they mm. get a letter from the IRS, we try to figure out what's what the problem is. Um, or they owe the IRS a lot of money. How do we try to lower the amount that they owe or figure out a payment plan? Because, again, these folks may not be making a lot of money, and mm. yet you know, Uncle Sam is asking for, for more than that they can give yeah, yeah. in one lump sum. We also do financial literacy classes so that people learn how to budget. Um, because while money is money regardless of what country you live in, budgeting is a little different here. Yeah. How much things cost, food, right. gas right now. Right? We, we teach them how to, how to figure that out. And I saw on your website there are some testimonials about people that have been helped by that specific service. Yeah. Maybe there's some, I don't know if there's two or three stories you can tell us about specific people. Obviously, we don't want to use their names, but, right. you know, somebody who tell us about their situation and how they got help. Yeah. So there are definitely stories that involve people who just were taken advantage of. They filed their taxes with an agency that they thought was trustworthy. They heard it word of mouth, right? Mm. So-and-so um, really helps the Latino community with their taxes. He's, they're low cost. They go do their taxes. Um, this person gives them a large return. Uh. And then a year later, they get a nice little letter from the IRS saying, uh, there's something off about mm. your your taxes. And- like you said, if you're new to the country and you don't completely understand the tax system here, what do you do? Who do you turn to? Mm-hmm. You go back to the person who filed your taxes and they say, well, no, out of my hands, I already filed them. Well, I would imagine there's also some complications if you're maybe not in the country legally, mm-hmm. but you're paying taxes. Mm-hmm. And the kind of double-edged sword of that is that you're not a citizen, so you're paying taxes, but you don't get the benefits of those taxes. Yeah, and I love that you brought that up because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that, that these individuals who, yes, might be here undocumented Mm -hmm. are still paying taxes, and they're not benefiting from any of this. (laughs) Yeah, They're just putting in more and more money into this pot that they never get to see. Um, what about citizenship preparation? What does that area involve? Yeah, so that is anyone who's getting ready to become a citizen of the U.S. Uh, we do a six-week course where we don't just teach them the 100 possible questions that they'll get asked during their interview, but we give them a history lesson. Just like those of us that grew up here had to go to U.S. history, mm-hmm. U.S. government classes, we want them to understand the why mm-hmm. uh, behind the questions, not just question and answer. Ah, uh, okay. So. It's a way to get them across that that line. Yeah, and I think that's tough because you move to a country where you don't know the language and the culture is different than yours, and then you're expected to know how that country works when I think a lot of people that were born in this country don't completely understand that stuff. It's very true. I sometimes look at those questions and I think, I don't (laughs) think I could pass this test myself. (laughs) And then uh, workforce development. Yes, so these are workshops. They're six to 12-week workshops where we do soft skills uh, for people to put on their resume. Hmm. So, for instance, right now we're really working on a class, uh, one of our most popular classes, which is residential electrician. It's not meant to give you a journeyman certification, but it at least teaches you the skills to repair something in your own home. Hmm. So you don't have to call someone. And hopefully this sparks an interest in you that you do want to then get certification. That could be the seed that mm-hmm. then you would go on to, to learn more and, and make that a career. Yeah. We also do programming classes. So people who want to work in IT, 
again, those very soft skills that hopefully plants that seed for them to get more. And I would imagine if you're pretty new to the country and maybe you had a job in the country you came from and you had a skill and maybe you even had a skill where you were certified at some level, that certification probably doesn't mean anything now. Yeah, for most people, it's really heartbreaking when you have people come to this country and you realize that they were surgeons right, in their country of origin yeah. and they can't practice. Uh, and they're doing what we sometimes call menial jobs, but they should be doing something more. And just because their certification or their degree doesn't transfer over, some of these folks have to do med school all mm. over again. And I know that there are currently bills in place right now to at least get them to not have to do med school 100%. Mm. There are definitely certifications or or, or things that they have to pass off There on. should be a little bit of a shortcut there. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've already done the work. Right. Why do I have to do it again? <laughs> Especially, I mean, we've got such a, a shortage of, of nurses. And, and yes. uh, you know, it seems like we should be tapping into these people that have these skills. Mm-hmm. There, there's got to be a way to around that. So it's good news that we're, mo- we're moving towards that. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. Yes. My guest today is Abraham Hernandez. He is Chief Communications Officer at Centro Hispano. And the website is centrohispanouc.org. And then the, the final service you, you offer on your website here uh, and your organization is immigration services. Yes. So that's people coming to the country legally or maybe they're already here but mm-hmm. want to go through that immigration process. Yeah, we want them to go through the process the legal way. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, sometimes we do hear stories of people who came here not in the best of situations. And we let them know what that process would look like. Um, there are folks who, like you said, have been here for years, so they can easily go through the, the process of getting, becoming residents and then eventually citizens. Um, but there's also a lot of different avenues to citizenship that people aren't aware of. Yeah, I guess I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's things like um, the U-Visa and the U-VAWA, um, which it has to do with domestic violence or any violence against a non-citizen by a citizen. Mm. Um, and people don't typically know about those because typically the um, perpetrator will scare the victim. Oh, right. Just yeah. saying, if you tell the cops, you know, you'll get deported. Mm. And little do they know that they can actually file a lawsuit and a report, and that's actually a, an a avenue into into citizenship. Yeah. Um, there's things like DACA, which is not a pathway to citizenship, unfortunately, at this moment. None of the administrations that we've had in the past, you know, I don't know, 10 years. They, they've extended it, but they haven't made it permanent. Yeah, they haven't done anything to, to keep the, these youth here, but will help them with the application process. Because hmm. uh, sometimes it can get a little tricky. And for those that don't know what DACA is, and I'm not sure I completely know, they're also called the Dreamers. Yeah, these are people that um, maybe their parents came here illegally, mm-hmm. um, or they were they were brought across the border as a, a child, or they were actually born here. Uh, so not born here. Born here, because if they're born here, they're automatically a citizen. A citizen. Mm-hmm. But if they were brought here when they were three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, they really didn't have a lot of choice in what they were doing at three years old. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a way to not punish the innocent, right, or, or to not punish children. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of um, obstacles towards getting DACA. Um, right now, no one's – they're not taking new applications, mm-hmm. so this is just renewals. But some of the 
the requirements were like, you had to be here before the age of 15. Mm-hmm. You had to reside in a certain um, place by so many years. You had to show that you were you had an education here yeah. in the U.S. and that you will continue to make this country better. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and again, we'll, we'll just help with that sometimes. Like I said, it gets tricky because they move, they get new jobs, they finish a degree, now they're getting a new degree. So it gets a little complicated, so we help with that paperwork. What other organizations are there like yours? It seems like we should have one of these kind of organizations in every city. It's true. I, I, I agree 100%. Uh, as I mentioned, in Utah County, we're currently the only ones that are specifically um, working with the Latino population. Salt Lake County, which makes sense that they have more because the, their Latino population is much bigger. Mm-hmm. But there's um, Comunidades Unidas or Communities United up here in Salt Lake the Salt Lake Valley, um, there's Alliance or ooh, Community Alliance Services that are also here, um, and they all offer different services. They all have a different mission. But what I really love is that we communicate. We make sure that we know what they're doing so that we can promote them and vice versa. Um, you mentioned earlier, why do we have satellite offices in, in different areas? It's because we don't want to step on people's turf either. Hmm. This is their area up right. in Salt Lake. They're more than welcome to, to keep it. Um, but if there's something that they don't offer, um, we'll we'll bring it over. And again, we communicate with yeah. them. Yeah. I think it would be important for organizations like that to stay in your lane, mm-hmm. but also to network. Yeah, exactly. And what other organizations do you partner with that maybe aren't exactly like yours? What other services uh, are in your network? Yeah. We make sure that we are looking at any agency that might have our population within it. Um, So we work with, like, the refugee programs Mm, um, because there might be refugees, um, especially right now a lot of uh, Latino countries are seeking asylum. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So we work with, with refugee agencies. We work with LGBTQ agencies because we know that we have LGBTQ members right. of our community that, that need their services as well. Huh. What? Uh, how can people help? Of course, any nonprofit is going to want donations. That's the number one way people can help. Um, and you will take donations from people that aren't Hispanic, of course. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, what other ways can people help? Are there things that people can donate that you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are three ways that you can donate. One is monetary. We always enjoy having that money come in because it helps keep our services free. Mm-hmm. Um, that way we don't have to charge as much um, as other agencies might need to. The second one is donating your time. Volunteers. We love having volunteers in our different departments. We also do events. And we love having volunteers come and help us. Our events see anywhere from four to 800 people. Hmm. So we need volunteers. Uh, we're a small organization. We're 13 employees. So we need as many volunteers as possible. What sort of events do you put on? So we put on culturally relevant events. We do four a year. One is uh, Dia de los Reyes Magos or the Epiphany. Um, we do Dia del Niño, which is uh, Children's Day. We do Dia del Muerto. Um, why can't I think of the phrase in, in English? Uh, Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead, yeah. And then the fourth one is kind of a floating one. We did Father's Day last year. Huh. We're gonna we're trying to do not Mother's Day, but Women's History Month. Oh, nice. And really empower our, our Latino women. So we have those four events. 
um, throughout the year. And the last one is, as I mentioned, we have Dia de los Reyes Magos, which is the Epiphany, when the three wise men come and bring gifts to to the kids. And we love taking toys in. Hmm. Um, this past year, we, like I said, we had about 800 people come to the event, and we had 500 toys. Ah. So every child that came in was able to go with a toy. And these well, were good. really high-quality toys. So, so that's something people can donate year-round to. Yeah. Brand new toys, do you? Brand new toys, yeah. And, and what about, you know, daily needs? Clothing, toiletries, that sort of thing. Is that an area you get into or not? Currently, we're not okay. taking that. Um, we are looking into creating a Latino-specific food pantry. While we do have a lot of great food pantries um, throughout the area, something that we've noticed is that they're not culturally representative of what our people sure, need. Sure, yeah. So... People need rice and beans. I know that's very <laughs> stereotypical, but that's what we eat, and that's not what they're finding. I see. Or they're getting a lot of canned food, hmm. and when you're an immigrant, you're not used to canned food. You're used to corn on the cob, not corn, corn in a can. In the can. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is kind of a loaded question, but what are some of the myths that exist about the Hispanic population in Utah, but really anywhere. Yeah. I think something that people don't realize is that we are so family-oriented, that we live in multi-generational homes, not to save a penny on housing, but because we depend on each other. Mm. Um, I remember there was a comedian that joked that who takes care of the baby? Well, it's the brother, the sister, the mom, the auntie, the grandmother, what a wonderful way to live when yeah. you know that you're taken care of by family. Right. Yeah. And that's got to be a good fit between Hispanics and Utah because mm-hmm. those are Utah values as well. Exactly. Uh, before we wrap up, tell me a little bit about the Hispanic Roundtable. What is that and what, what, is it, what is it that it does? Yeah. The Hispanic Roundtable is something that we started, funny enough, right before the pandemic started, we I think we've only had one in-person meeting <laughs> because then everything shut down. But the intent of the Hispanic Roundtable is twofold. One, bring in agencies, um, companies that have services for our Latino community so that we can bring them all together. Okay? One of our goals and our mission is access to information, resources, and education. So bring those resources together so that we have them. We know about each other. They can tell us if there are events, if there are um, things that uh, that they're promoting. We have those in store. So it's sort of an advisory board and a yeah. let's get everything together kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And then the second fold comes in with our population, our community members, our Latino members. What's going on? What are they seeing out there that we can help address or these partnering agencies can help address, right? Uh, because while we have our our ear to the, to the ground, we're going to miss something. Sure, right? yeah. And so we need our population to tell us, hey, we're experiencing this in, in our schools. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll share an example. We had a parent who who had just lost his wife. They were brand new to the country, barely registering their children into school, and that school didn't have an interpreter. And the secretary was getting really angry with the dad that he wasn't understanding mm. how to register his children. 
And as I was hearing that story um, coming from the community resources office, I, I went up to the, that person and I said, do you mind telling me what school district this was? And, and he told me. And so I went to a different school district um, because I know that this other school district has interpreters, mm. is really focused on the Latino community. And I said, how do I address this with this other school district? Mm. Because we don't want to ever go in attacking. Right, right. But if we're having adults in our office crying that someone is treating them badly just simply because they're not understanding. And on top of that, he's grieving the loss of his wife right, and yeah. they're not understanding that. How do we how do we take care of that? Yeah. So, so what was the suggestion? So <laughs> it was suggested that I go and meet with um, the principal and just kind of explain without getting too specific because we didn't want it to seem like this dad came into our office uh, to just right. complain to us because that's not what was happening. He actually came in seeking other services. It just came out in conversation right. that this is what had happened. And so that's what we did. Yeah. We said, hey, how do we work on this? And luckily we found out that this was kind of a fluke, hmm. that they did have interpreters, that whoever decided to not seek an interpreter, it was on them. Yeah. That the school it really is trying. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. I would think the other thing about the Utah culture with all of the return LDS missionaries mm-hmm. who have learned Spanish, mm-hmm. there's there's probably more Caucasians in Utah that speak Spanish mm-hmm. than maybe anywhere else in the U.S. So I would think that that's something to our advantage as well. I know I've got uh, a niece and a nephew and both of their spouses, all four of them mm-hmm. speak Spanish fluently. Yeah. Um, so I th- we have that resource here, so we should tap into that for sure. Definitely. And I love having Caucasian volunteers come and get to use their Spanish. What I love is not only are we helping them to keep their Spanish mm-hmm. up, but it shows our Latino community that there are Caucasian individuals who care. Yeah. Because unfortunately, we've had some pretty rough years where it feels like no one cares about us. Um and during those years, we actually had, and I'm so proud of our Utah community. During those four years, we had the biggest donations, mm. toys, monetary, volunteer work. They wanted to show our community. That's great. You're not alone. Yeah. Change is hard. It mm-hmm. always is. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it's heading the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great organization, Centro Hispano, and the website centrohispanouc.org. Abraham Hernandez is the Chief Communications Officer. Thank you for what you're doing in our community. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for highlighting us because we love for people to know who we are. Thank you for listening to All Along the Wasatch with Mike Parsons. If you would like to submit a request to be a guest on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. That's mparsons at ksl.com. 